Come on. How many of you are excited to be here this morning? Come on, man. Yes, sir. Hey, we're pumped and uh, excited to be in week two of Crazy Good. How many of you guys took those vows whenever you got married? Yeah, don't raise your hand. You're going to get in trouble. Just letting you know. No, that's, that's uh, nobody did. Nobody wants those vows, but yet we see it lived out a lot. And so we just figured we'd have some time and a little bit of fun this morning as we are talking about marriage. We want to learn how to have a crazy good marriage, and it starts with the Bible. But before we do that, I want to do something fun that we haven't done in quite a while. Um, but I want to ask you to go ahead and pull your phones out real quick. Pull your phones out. We are going to do about 30 to 45 seconds of selfie Sunday. If this is your first time with us, this is what it looks like. Take a selfie with somebody around you. Post it on your social media. Tag the church. We just want to have some fun and let people know that they're missing the party. And uh, So go ahead. Take a few seconds and do that real quick uh, this morning. Y'all know it's already on selfie mode anyway. It's all good. Jerry, if I was back there, I'd, I'd be with you, man. It'd just be, you could push Gail out. I'm kidding, <laughs> Make sure you post those on your social media channels. Tag the church. We love to see that stuff. It's a lot of fun to see the life of uh, radiate all over the place. And so we love connecting with you guys. It's a great way to that to do that. Hey, the first scripture, we're going to bounce scriptures today, so uh, make sure you're taking notes and, and all that stuff. But the first scripture we're really going to hit today is Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. We're going to hang out there for a few minutes at the very beginning today. So you can go ahead and turn there, or uh, as you're taking notes, write those down. I do encourage taking notes so you can go back and learn. Hey, has it, have you ever, like for me, all right, let me put it this way. For me growing up, I had a favorite meal as a kid, right? I, and in fact, it's still my favorite meal right now. If my mom ever asked me what I wanted to eat, it was always the same answer. And I, in fact, whenever I go over to my mom and dad's house um, for birthday dinner, right? I'm 38 and still have birthday dinner with mom and dad. Don't hate on me. And don't, don't you hate. And you know what I'm saying? Mama's boy right here. Come on. And, uh, and if, I, if they ask me, it is this. It is meatloaf. We got any meatloaf fans? Come on, somebody. We got more saved folks in this one, Pastor Travis. The first service, I was worried about salvation and sanctification. I'm just telling you, bro. <laughs> no, I'm talking about meatloaf that's like perfectly made, and then you put the ketchup on top before it is baked. So while it's become, mm, I'm about to run. I feel it. I'm about to run the backs of chairs. Meatloaf, right? And then, and then mashed potatoes, right? But I ain't talking about no instant mashed potatoes. I'm talking about you boil them bad, th bad boys up, you get them soft, you mush them up. You take that blender and, and you get me. Mm, mm. And then before it's over, you know what you put on top? Cheese, baby. You put cheese all over that bad boy. Meatloaf, mashed potatoes with cheese. Some of y'all like, what in the world is he going? What has gotten into him? Three shots of espresso this morning, Mike. That's what happened. <laughs> Meatloaf, mashed potatoes with cheese, and then green beans. Praise the Lord with some of Mama's homemade syrup, also known as sweet tea. You know what I'm saying? Like, just, it's got to be right. I taste it. I taste it right now. I see it. I love that meal. Like, I, I love it. My dad, in fact, called me a few weeks ago, 
And he asked me this question. I picked up. I said, hello. And we talked for a minute. He goes, you know what I'm eating right now? And I was like, first of all, can I just give you all advice? Don't ever call somebody and ask them that question because they ain't going to know what you're eating. Like, that's just a weird question. It's a weird way to have a conversation. I said, no, Dad, I, um, I'm, I'm about to go to a meeting, so I don't know. I'm not at your table. I don't know what you're eating. He said, I'm eating meatloaf with mashed potatoes and cheese and green beans. And I said, oh, praise God, the Lord is in your house. <laughs> this is what I said. And he said, I said, well, I'm jealous and that I'm actually going to a meeting and I can't be there. He said, I think, this, <laughs> I think this is the first time in my life I've ever had that meal and it wasn't meant for you. <laughs> and I said, just remember who the favorite is, Dad. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and uh, I loved that meal. But when I got older and I moved out, right, and I got married, you know what I, I called mom and asked her? Mom, I want some meatloaf, mashed potatoes with cheese and green beans. I was like, I need, I need your recipe, right? So she gives me her super secret recipe. I'm not giving it to you because it's so easy. It makes you feel dumb when you can't get it right. And so I made meatloaf, y'all. I bought a meatloaf pan. You know there's pans just for meatloaf? I didn't know that. I went and bought a meatloaf pan, and I made this meatloaf, and I put the ketchup on top. My mom always did it like a squiggly line, right? It wasn't straight. It was squiggly like this. So every bite had ketchup in it, and it was amazing. And so I tried the squiggly line ketchup and everything. Y'all, I pulled that thing out, and I looked at my wife. I was so proud. I was trying to baptize her <laughs> in southern cooking, you know, like this is the glory days. I pulled this thing out, and I looked at my wife, and I said, that doesn't look like my mom's meatloaf <laughs> at all. I took a bite, and I said, that also doesn't taste like my mom's meatloaf at all. I tried the best I could, and I did. You ever had a favorite meal or something like that? You get the recipe, and you feel like, okay, I'm, I'm doing the best I can, but it just doesn't come out the same, right? You know what I'm saying? And, and then you're like, okay, what do I need to do? And I, today, what I want to do is I really want to give you uh, a recipe for a crazy good marriage. And it's in the Bible. It's, it's all in there in the Bible. In fact, every year I do a series on marriages and on relationships because I think they're so important and the Bible talks about so much about it. But I wanted to take today and really talk about crazy good marriage because I do believe the family unit and marriages are under attack. I do believe that the enemy is specifically and strategically trying to divide some some parents and families to, to, because think about it this way, if, if he can divide the family, then he doesn't have to worry about the kids growing up and trusting God through all that. Like it's easier to hit the next generation. It's easier to get there. And I think that's some of what's happening. I want to talk about it because the reality is, is last year you had to quarantine together all year. And some of y'all drove each other nuts. Like for real, right? Y'all know what I'm saying? Like there were times in marriages where it was like, you got, I don't care where you go, but you got to go somewhere for about 30 minutes because we're going to clothesline each other right now. Let's, let's be real about life. And here's what I know, right? Here's what I know. There's people all across the spectrum of relationships in here today. There's people that have been married for longer than I've been alive. And to you guys, man, there, there's so much wisdom and, and knowledge and, and God-given uh, commitment there that my generation needs to hear. We need to hear that. We need that discipleship from you guys. We need to know what it looks like to have bad days on bad days on bad days and still get through it. We need to know that it's not all bliss and rainbows and butterflies all the times. 
and, and what that looks like to get through. And then there's people that have been married, you know, like me. I've been married 13 years. How she's dealt with me that long, I don't know. It is a job. I will say that. Say that. And like, you know, you've been married 13 years and you start getting into this, you know, it can be a marriage rut, right? And you kind of like, okay, this is how we do life. <laughs> you know, you're pretty. And <laughs> <laughs> going date night, going Sonic. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> that's bad. I love Sonic, y'all. I, have y'all had their pretzels? Like, praise God, come on somebody. Slushies. Anyway, I felt like I needed to redeem myself because I picked on Sonic for no reason. But... You know, go, go some, you know, we do our things, we get in our rut. And then, and then there's people that are newlyweds, right? And like newlyweds, I just want to say, that's cute. Like we really do support you, but life happens after the honeymoon. You know, the honeymoon's great. And then life, and the first year of our marriage was really tough. It was the hardest year of our marriage. And then there's people that want to get married one day. And like you're, you're either gonna, you're either engaged or you're dating and talking about being engaged or you're dating and hoping that one day you talk about being engaged, whatever that looks like, right? And honestly, what I'm talking about today, I wish I had known in high school because I probably would have, or I know, not probably, I would have approached every single relationship that I was ever in completely differently if I had the right recipe. And here's the thing about a recipe, right? Watch this. Like, I told you I made my mom's meatloaf, mashed potatoes, and cheese, and all that stuff, right? And it wasn't that the way I made it was bad. It was edible. In fact, we ate it, and I've made it since. Um, it just wasn't hers. And watch this. That's okay sometimes. And so I want you to know that as we go through this today, we're going to go through four things that I think are keys in biblically successful and God-honoring marriages and relationships that your relationship, your outcome, your product is going to look different than other people's. And, and you need to understand me and hear me when I say, that's okay. That's okay. We're not created the same. We're wired completely. Y'all don't want to be wired like me. I'm crazy. I got problems. When somebody asks me what's wrong, my answer is a lot. Like, there's a lot going on. We all have to be wired completely differently because that's how God purposed it because we all have a purpose in the earth and we don't all have the same purpose in the earth. We all have the same mission, which is to go and create disciples throughout the world and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's in Matthew chapter 28. But we all have a different purpose to get to the mission. It's the same thing with our marriages. It's going to look different, and that is okay. But I want to give you the ingredients of what it looks like to live a life, live a marriage, live a relationship that is God-honoring because I am so tired of watching us do it wrong and then wonder where we got it wrong. Like there's so much life to be given in the Bible when we look at this. So I'm just going to walk through it. Four things today, four things that I find are consistent in God-honoring, crazy, good marriages. Are you ready for this? Number one is this. It has to be centered on Christ. Centered on Christ. Number one, that's the first thing. Nothing else matters. Centered on Christ. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 says it, uh, says it like this. It says, but seek first. Everybody say first. first. Seek first. His kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Let me give you context of that scripture. There's all these people that are worried and freaking out. I talk about this scripture actually a good bit, but freaking out about where's the food going to come from? Where's our clothes going to come from? Where's my wife going to come from? Where's my husband going to come from? Like freaking out about everything. That kind of feels like today, doesn't it? 
It's like, how, how am I going to get there? And how am I going to get here? And, and, and on all this stuff. And like, Jesus just looks at them in the midst of their freaking out. And he goes, listen, I'm going to tell you how this stuff's going to happen. I'm going to tell you how you're going to get your food taken care of, your clothes taken care of, your comfort taken care of, your peace taken care of, your house taken care of, your family taken care of, all this stuff. I'm going to tell you. And here's what he says. He says, seek first his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It doesn't say seek first your happiness. Seek first his righteousness. There's a really big difference in this because the reality is, watch this, you got to understand this. We, most of us, if you're in here today, at some point in your marriage, you have said, right, or probably have said, I want a Christ-centered marriage and relationship. Can I tell you that does not happen until you are Christ-centered? I can't bring into a marriage what I don't already have. I can't give you, as your pastor, what I don't already have. I can't give away something I don't possess. And so whenever I say, I want a Christ-centered marriage, right? This is a good reminder for all of us, no longer how long we've been married. If I want a good Christ-centered marriage, watch this, I have to be Christ-centered. She has to be Christ-centered. Because bringing it corporate doesn't do anything if it's not first personal. If it's not first something in us. And watch this, I want to give you this thought. When we put God at the center of everything, we never have to wonder where he is. When I put God at the center of it all, Jesus at the center of it all. That was good, wasn't it? That was my audition right there. Was that good? Was that okay? Was that all right? Y'all going to clap anyway. It's all good, you know. <clears throat> but when I put him at the center of it all, I never have to wonder where he's at. I think sometimes we have this phrase where God is my first priority. I don't think God wants to be your first priority. He just wants to be in the middle of everything. He wants to be your foundation. He wants to be your basis. He wants to be the bottom line. He wants to be the thing that it is all built on to begin with. And, and, and we got to get to this place to where everything, because when he's at the center, when I seek first his righteousness, here's what it's doing. It's like putting on sunglasses, and everything I see is now filtered through that. And so now everything I see, everything I do, everything I think is now filtered through the kingdom and his righteousness. Not, not my platform, not my reputation, not my desires, not my, my, my des you know, any of that. Not anything to do with me. It's all about who? Christ. Seek first his kingdom. Watch this. It doesn't say seek first your spouse. It doesn't say pray really hard for your marriage. It says seek first the kingdom. And then he says this. This is really interesting. He says, and when you do that, everything else will be added. Everything you're freaking out about. Everything you're worried about. Everything that you desire. Everything that you want. Everything inside the will of God, whenever you... Seek me first. All that stuff will be added. But here's what we want to do. We want to seek that stuff and then come to God and go, hey, I've done all the homework over here. Like, I've done all the heavy lifting, God. You ain't even got to worry about it. I know the exact um, dealership to go get that truck from, God. God, I know where Victoria's Secret is, and I've shown my wife. If I've done the heavy lifting. Y'all don't act like you prayed about, ain't prayed about that stuff. Y'all trying to act all proper up in here today. We talking about marriage. Let's get real. Like he says, seek me first. 
honor me first. Worship me first. Some of the problem is, is we worship our spouse more than God. And then we want to know why we get broken down and everything goes away whenever our spouse is upset. Now, I'm not saying they shouldn't, like we shouldn't care. I'm just saying it's about God. And we can't, here's the issue. Many of us go into relationships and here's our mentality. Well, we're having problems, so maybe if we get married, it'll be better. Whew. I've heard that so many times. People have literally asked me, hey, so if we get married, do you think it'll get better? <laughs> no. You can't run away. I'm, I'm dead serious. Like when you're in an argument and you're not married, you can go home. When you're in an argument and you're married, you can go to the garage. Right? <laughs> no. Or, hey, we're in marriage and we're having some issues. Maybe kids will fix it. <laughs> like the truth. <laughs> the truth is, is like neither one of those things are bad. But when they become the, the means to an end, when they become what we're about, it's really unhealthy because the priorities get out of the way. See, can I just give you this, this upside-down thought? Maybe your spouse shouldn't be your foundation. No, there, take the maybe out of it. Your spouse should not be your foundation. Jesus should, first and foremost. Because James chapter 4 and verse 14, it's a verse that I live by. You'll hear me talk about it all the time. Life's a vapor. I don't know what tomorrow's going to hold for me. But I want my wife to have such a spiritual foundation on Jesus that no matter what happens to me, she's still going to be okay. And the same thing for me with her. And so Jesus, like my wife can't save my, me from my sins. My wife can't get me to heaven. But I know a Savior that can. And I know a God that sent his son to die on a cross so that I was forgiven of everything so that eternal relationship with the Father was now available to you and to me. And that person was not one of my spouses. It was not my spouse or your spouse. It was Jesus. And so we have to be Christ-centered. And when he says, seek first, I want to kind of tweet. I don't want to change the wording. I just want to give you this thought. Maybe it's not just seek first, but it's seek in everything. Seek in everything. Wake up and go, God, how can I please you today? God, how can I serve you today? God, how can I worship you today? God, how can I do this for you today? God, how can I, how can I, how can I? And, and like just get in this place to where, God, it's all about you. My marriage will be God honoring. My work will be God honoring. My life will be God honoring. And it has to be personal before it's corporate. And by corporate, I don't mean organization. I mean like relationships. It has to be personal first. So number one, the first thing I see a lot is it has to be God or Christ-centered, right? The next, the next one, um, if I can flip over there, the next one is this, it's, it's honoring. So God honoring crazy good marriages, right? Are Christ-centered. Crazy good in marriages are honoring. Well, let's read chapter Ephesians chapter five for a second. And I'm just gonna let you know, like right off the bat, I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you so it doesn't catch anybody off guard. We're gonna feel the weight for a minute. Uh, 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 husbands and wives, we're gonna feel the weight of what the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus about marriage here. And I encourage you, go home. If you wanna be married one day, really digest 
Ephesians chapter 5, uh, 22 through, you know, really through 33, and, and just digest that and figure out what it means and what that looks like because it's a great depiction of what a, a God-honoring, crazy good marriage is. But let me read 22 through uh, 27 to you real quick. It says this. It says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, don't get excited. I'm not stopping there. Watch this, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, also, or as Christ, also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. Let me just stop right there for a second. And I just want to talk to the men. I, I, I just want to talk to the men for a second. Wives, no elbowing. None. I want the men to feel some weight for a second. Because every time, I'm going to be real honest and transparent, every time I read that verse, verse 23, I feel a pressure and a weight on my life. Read what it says. It says, for the husband, men, is the head of the wife. Okay, sounds good. That's where we go. Oh, yeah, I'm testosterone driven. I got, I got vision, you know. Like, I can do that part. I can lead. Ha, 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 ha. But read the next part because there's some, there's some weight that comes on the other side. As Christ also is the head of the church. Whoa, can, can, we, can we feel that? Paul, Paul goes, hey, I don't, I don't need you to just be the head of your wife, tell your wife what to do and to pay the bills and, and all this stuff. Like, I, don't, I don't need all that. He goes, I need you to lead your wife in your home, in your family, as Christ leads his church. In other words, he goes, look at Jesus and how he loves the church. And men act that way. Y'all, that's, that's a heavy weight. And sometimes we, we can, if you're anything like me, we can get off track so easy on that. How does, all right, so pastor, how does Christ love the church? Unconditionally. Unconditionally. He loves the church openly. He, he, he serves, which we're going to talk about in a minute, the church. He supports the church, the big C church like what does it mean that we you and me men Paul looks at us and he goes you're not just in charge of your wife you're not just telling her what to do and this is how it's going to be and blah 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 no you are acting like Christ you're taking a similar position in your marriage as he does in salvation whoa so here's what that means for us men. And I'm, I'm going to be real. I, I can feel the tension in here right now. Some of you guys do not like me. I'm just talking about the Bible. Watch this. Here's the truth. If it's the similar position, it means that this marriage ain't about me. It ain't about you and it ain't about me. Which is why I have to be Christ centered maybe that's why men all across the globe are walking out on marriages at a statistically astounding rate and it's simply because now i'm not saying that women aren't doing the same but i believe it's because we've forgotten the example that we're supposed to follow of jesus and how he never walks out on us and how he loves us, and he encourages us, and he pushes us. We'd rather look to Hollywood for marriage examples than the Bible. 
men. I know, I know. You feel beat up sometimes and like everybody's telling you how to be. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you Paul looks at us and says that your responsibility is not to tell her what to do and not to get to a production and not to get to an end result. Your responsibility, my responsibility as a man and as a husband is to act as Christ in that moment and to love her so well that she sees the cross in my life. To lead her to the cross, to lead her with love and with grace and with humility and with unconditional appreciation. Let's keep, let's keep going. Y'all are like, praise God. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. And he gave himself up for her. Watch, this is the example. This is what Paul's saying. This is what it looks like to love your wife as Christ loves the church. He gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her or cleanse her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Men, husbands, my job, very clearly, is to sacrificially love my wife to a place to where she is holy and blameless and I'm not creating any spot or wrinkle in her life and making it harder for her. My job is to love her so well that it changes everything in her life. We are to be honoring. And ladies, it's the same thing, honor. We, one of our values here at Radiate Church is we honor up, down, and all around. And we take that so just serious here at Radiate. Because watch this, honor, honor is not something you do in private. It's something you do in public and in private. Because if I can't do it in public, it's simply a show. How, honor looks like this. How do I treat them? How do I talk to them? How do we disagree? Because honor raises the value level of somebody's life in your life. Honor is, is like this. What, what kind of gifts do you give them? Do you take enough time to learn what their love language is so you know how to, how to love them in a way that they can understand? Like if, you're, they're not a, if their love language ain't gifts, then like don't bring them gifts all the time. Go do the dishes. I don't know. Find out what that is, right? Because you bring them a gift and they're like, oh, that's great. All right. Uh, sink full of dishes. And they're not being bad. It's just you're speaking Chinese to somebody that speaks German. It's the same thing. My love language is very superficial. I like stuff. I just do. My wife, she could go and buy me a Snickers bar, and I'd be like, oh, my gosh, she loves me so much. It's incredible. I like stuff. Y'all might be like, well, you're shallow. Don't judge me. I like giving gifts, so I give gifts that way. She understands that, too, but hers is servanthood. She likes to be served. She likes words of affirmation. You know, like, I have to know that stuff. Honor elevates the voice of the person. Honor is loving someone at the level at which they were created and purposed. Not at the level that they're living. Because often we're not living up to the level that we're purposed to be. Honor goes, I love you so much that even if you're acting a fool right now, I love you at where you could be and should be and will be. I'll love you. at. That's why we honor positions rather than people. 
That's why I can honor the position of President of the United States. Whether I agree or disagree, it doesn't matter. I honor the position. Are you with me? Honor is a heart posture. Honor is the ability to look at somebody and go, I honor who you are and can be, and I honor your position. We need to do that more to each other. Here's another one. So it's honor. It's Christ-centered. It's servant-based. Crazy good marriages are servant-based. Let's flip over real quick to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Let me read verse 1 to you real quick. It says this. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. So that even, watch this. This is the key right here. So that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. What does servant base look like for a wife? Live your life in such a way that you can win them closer to the cross without saying a thing. Wow. Does that mean just do whatever they want? No, nope, that's not what the Bible says. It means live your life in such a worshipful, God-honoring, biblically accurate way that you can win your husband closer to the cross without saying a word. Now, that doesn't mean go home and don't tell him to put his boxers in the clothes hamper. Right? That doesn't mean any of that. It means live your life. Let your life... St. Francis of Assisi said it like this. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Let your life preach the gospel. Let your life shine of the cross. Let him look at you and see Jesus and grace and mercy and love at a new level. Now watch this. Verse 7 of the same chapter talks to the husbands. It says, husbands, in the same way, live with your wives. With your wives. I think that is important. Step by step, arm in arm, hand in hand. Live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker. Now, calm down. That's contextual. In those days, in the context of the day, they, women didn't have much value. So Paul's making an ode there. They are weaker, right? Since she is a woman. And show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Whoa. Hold on a second. It says live your life with, live your, life with your wife in such a way that they are fellow heirs of Jesus. They're not lesser. They're not lesser than. This is actually goes against a lot of the context and a lot of the uh, culture of the day. Treat your wife, treat a female like they are just as much a part of the kingdom as you are. In culture in that day, that wasn't the case. Women had no value. And Paul's going, no, they have a lot of value. They have a lot of kingdom value. That's part of the reason people didn't like Paul is because he said stuff like that. Didn't like Peter. Sorry, I kept saying Paul. Didn't like Peter. Because he kept saying stuff like that. And Peter is, is saying, no, they got value. But then watch this. It says, if you don't, your prayers will be hindered. So, the way I treat God's daughter determines in some way, shape, or form how God hears my prayers. Let me put it like this. Because I know your thoughts. That's not a God I serve. God listens to every prayer. I didn't say he didn't. 
Peter is teaching us that the way we treat his daughter determines how he hears our prayers, how they get to his ears. Watch this. If my, when, when my wife, well, not my wife, she's not going to start dating because she's married. When my daughter, <laughs> when my daughter starts dating after she's married, I've already told her, 35 years old, when she starts dating, and if a man shows up and starts treating her wrong, telling her the wrong things, treating her the wrong way, first of all, I got guns. They scare people. I'm kidding, y'all. Calm down. Calm down. No. When she shows up and, and all this stuff, right? Let's say he, he treats her wrong and says the wrong thing and does all this wrong stuff, right? And then he comes to me and he goes, Mr. Goff, I really need you to hear me when I say... And he starts telling me what he needs and how I can help him and, 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 and the, all the goals that he has in his life. Do you not think that I'm going to be jaded in what he has to say? I'm going to look at him and be like, son, you better get out of my face before I rip that nose off your face. Because that's my little girl. Y'all know what I'm talking about. That's my little girl. And you ain't going to rip her heart out and stomp on it in front of me. Like, you're going you to fight through me to get to her. I can promise you that. And then you got an older brother of hers that you're going to have to fight through. And then her younger brother crazier than the older brother. So you better hold on, bro. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You'd be the same way, wouldn't you? So why do we think that we can treat God's daughter any way we want, men? And then he's supposed to just listen to every God, I really need you to get me out of this issue and this problem. And God's going, yeah, I will as soon as you treat my daughter right. Treat her as a fellow heir of grace. Nobody on the planet would be like, hey, you know what? Just treat my daughter however you want. You know what? You can say what you want, do what you want, act how you want. You can demean her and you can tear her down. You can do all those things. I'll do whatever you want me to, man. We're buddies. We're friends. We're good. No, see, the great thing about God is he loves us where we are, but too much to leave us there. And so there's going to be moments where he's going to go, you learn how to treat my daughter because the way that you treat your spouse is an indication of how you're going to treat everybody else. And the reality is you learn how to treat my daughter right and we can work on some things. But right now, you're not being Jesus to her. You're not loving her the way that she should be loved. She's more valuable than that. And honor does this. Honor looks at somebody and goes, you are valuable to me. And I lift up your voice and I lift up your existence and I lift up who you are because I serve you because I love you. And I love that Peter just puts it out there. Hey, you treat her wrong, prayers are going to be hindered. Wow, what? That's tough. Let's, let's learn to serve. Wives, let's serve our husbands. Husbands, let's serve our, our wives. Because what, here, let me give you this thought on servanthood and then I got to go to point four. And you're going to love it. It's going to be so good. So good. What you do when you don't know what the reward is is an indication of your serving capacity. What you're willing to do when you have no idea what the payoff is is an indication of your serving capacity. When you have no idea what's going to happen. What if you serve your spouse and they don't even care? What if? Isn't that what serving is? What if you do everything for them, but they do nothing for you? What if? Love them so well that they see Jesus. So it's Christ-centered. It's honoring. It's servant-based. And watch this. Here's the last one. 
crazy good marriages? Y'all, they're steamy. They're sexy. I know, y'all like, this is awkward all of a sudden. Let's talk about it. That's a part of marriage. Y'all know, when you said I do, y'all were like, I know, mm-hmm. Watch this. I want, I want to read a scripture to you. I'm going to go ahead and tell you it's going to be the most awkward scripture you've ever had read to you in the middle of church. I'm going to go ahead and let you know. But I think we, we need to talk about this. I'll tell you why in a minute. Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verses 7 through 8 says this. Watch this. Solomon, boy, Solomon's a poet. A poet and didn't know it. He says it like this. Your stature is like, <laughs> your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. He said, I will climb that palm tree and I'll take hold of its fruit stalks. Oh, may your breasts be like cluster, clusters of the vine and the fragrance of your breath like apples. Y'all like, yep, that's awkward. I want to read you that because I want to read you what her response to that is. In verse 10, here's what she says. I am my beloved's and his desire." Is for me. Why do I read scriptures that sound like it came out of Fifty Shades of Grey? It's because I think the Bible's trying to teach us that maybe we shouldn't make our spouse wonder how we feel about them so much. Maybe, and I know some of you like, I ain't even married yet. Yeah, don't say that to somebody then. Save that one. Maybe our spouse wonders how we feel because we don't express how we feel. Maybe, maybe our spouse deals with insecurity. There could be a lot of deep issues, but what if it's because they don't even know how we think they look? That stuff matters. Well, what if, like if we just opened our mouth and we talked about it with them, what if there was something there that made them go, I love her response. I am my beloved. I ain't worried about him with anybody else because he's desiring me. In fact, if you go read the Song of Solomon, I suggest you do it. If you're married, I think it's great. You don't need, you know, General Hospital for that or whatever a popular soap opera is. The reality is, is like, go read it because Solomon don't leave anything to the imagination for her. He wants her to know that I desire you. I love you. I want to spend my life with you. I want to be with you. You're the only thing on my mind. Like when I see you, here's what I see. And I have people <coughs> that come into my office. And here's the response. You know what they say? I wish they could see themselves through my eyes. Well, then speak through your eyes. Let them hear what you see. Let them know what you feel. And I know some of you are like, I've been married so long. Like, you know, she knows. She don't know by now. She, she needs to just pay attention. Tell them. I said something in a sermon about three years ago, two or three years ago, and it's made, that, this phrase has made its way into several messages since, and it's this. If you think something good, say it. Say it. Look at her and go, baby, them jeans on you? Mm-mm. Or, baby, I can tell you've been working out. Tell him that. Don't tell her that. No, but tell him. Like, if you think something good, say it. And here's the reality. Let me talk to everybody that's not married real quick. And do this thing in God's way. We can't do things outside of the way that God wants it done and then, and then get mad at the product we get. Save sex for marriage. 
And the reason is, is because you will get into marriage and have so many soul ties with people that you got to work through and it creates so much baggage that you don't even know because that's how sex was created. It was created to tie souls together. That's why two become one. It's the union and it's part of the act of, of sex that brings it together. Souls are tied. Save it. Do it God's way. And if anybody doesn't want you to do it God's way and you're with them, you need to tell them, peace out. I'm going to find somebody that loves God more than they love my body. Like, let's do this thing the right way and get really excited about how God designed marriage. Let's do this thing right and let's have a crazy good marriage. And if you've already entered into those relationships and you've already done those things and you've already, like, you're sitting here and you're like, I'm none of those things. Like, those, those characteristics are not in my marriage. I just want to say, it's all right. Because God loves you in that, but he ain't going to leave you there. He'll give you steps forward. He'll help you get to a place to where it's a God-honoring marriage and we can do this the right way. And I know, listen, man, I know some of you are like, Wow, you, 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 you talk pretty raw about marriage. Yeah. Can I get real with you for a minute? Like, I get so sick and tired of everybody in culture can tell me that, that I don't have to actually know what my gender is. And, and I get so sick and tired of culture telling me that there is no gender and there, like the wrong way to do marriage or, or the biblical way to do marriage is the wrong way to do marriage and it can be between anybody and anybody and all this stuff. And I just want you to know, listen to me, marriage was created as a sanctifying thing, as a thing that, a spiritual act that God put together and I'm just tired of churches having to shut up about something that God created to be crazy good. Let's take a stance and let's create marriages that are exactly Examples of the goodness of God. To where we go, no, I know who I am. And I know whose I am. And because of that, I can be everything he's called me to be. And I don't have to let culture decide that. And I don't have to let the world decide that. I let my God decide that. I know whose I am. And can I just tell you this? And I got to close. I got to hush. Love your spouse well in front of your kids. Because if you don't, they will be taught how to love, and it will be distorted. Don't depend on an hour in Radiate Kids every week. You get them seven days a week, we get them for an hour. Let them see it and experience it and teach them that, the biblical way. Don't just depend on me to, 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 to preach to your spouse. I have people sometimes like, Pastor, if you could preach on this, my husband could really need it. You got the same Bible I got. Just preach to him. Stand behind the kitchen counter. And you can hit the table like I do. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're having fun, but like, I get 30 minutes to teach. And I can't go completely in depth all the time. Let's live it out. And let's see crazy good marriages become examples for the kingdom of God. Today, you got an entire marriage series in one day. And my prayer, my prayer, honestly is that it changes lives today. If you would bow your heads, I just want to pray over you. Father, we love you and we honor you. And we welcome you into this place. Thank you. If you're in here real quick and you'd love to give your heart to Jesus, you'd love to start a new life with him and salvation, if that's you, would you just open or just raise your hand today? I'd love to pray with you. 
Father, we love you. We honor you. We give you everything we have. And I just pray that you would help us be the spouse we need to be, the son and daughter of God we need to be. And God, I pray for crazy good marriages that are examples of the goodness and the forgiveness in the kingdom of God. Lord, we love you in your name. Amen. Hey, church, real quick, real quick. I'm going to throw a curveball. Next week, we're continuing this series on a, on a title, and it's titled Crazy Good Sanity. And it's about how to keep your sanity when everybody wants to drive you nuts. And uh, we're going to talk about that next week. It's going to be great. I want to see you back. I love you guys.